Hello and welcome to the Lockdown Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Tonight, I'm joined by a special guest, Tony Ferrari at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter from Dauber Prospects. What's going on, Tony? How's it going, Mike? How's it going? I'm doing pretty well, doing pretty well, uh, enjoying myself here tonight. Uh, you fired out a tweet earlier today that piqued my interest, though, so I want you to plead your case for the experiment to try Tyson Berry at Ford. I'll give you the floor in just a moment, um, but for those who don't know Tony, he's an NHL draft aficionado with Dauber Prospects, uh, so we'll definitely touch on some of the least prospects and also get a little bit into the 2020 NHL draft, and then we'll, we'll tee up the Leafs game tonight uh, for the Stars. But as promised, I will give you the floor. I want you to convince me and locked on Leafs listeners that Tyson Berry should be a legitimate winger. They're not legitimate, but they should experiment with Tyson Berry at the wing once the D gets fully healthy. Why is that, Tony? Well, as unrealistic as it probably is, I don't see why you wouldn't try it at this point. You, you've seen it around the league before. I mean, in, in, in the past, guys like Brent Burns or Dustin Bufflin have both, have both played forwards on successful teams that have made deep runs in the playoffs. And while Barry isn't that massive hulking defenseman like those two, he's an extremely skilled, fast player. And with the, the emergence of Rasmus Sandin and uh, Tim Lilligren coming up, and he's played well, I, I, I don't think it's impossible to say that he's at least an NHL-caliber defenseman. And Tyson Barry defensively just isn't. But you don't want to take that offensive prowess away from the power play. And you don't want to completely take that out of the game because when he has the puck on his stick, he has game-breaking ability. I know people have been getting on him with his defensive game and whatnot, but that's not what he does. He's never done that. And I know people are angry because earlier in the season under Babcock, he was playing terribly, and that's indefensible. It was awful. But since Keith has come in, he's been exactly as advertised. All offense, no defense, Jake Gardner on steroids. He's not going to play any defense. So play him on the right wing. Take Gochi out of the lineup in games that you you want a little bit of off, extra offensive punch, not the least generally need it. But you run a fourth line of Gochi or of Spezza, Barry, and choose your winger. Well, Kyle Clifford, Angle, I guess now. Like maybe. you're going, yeah, yeah, exactly. Kyle Clifford. Now you're going to have an offensive fourth line that a lot of teams aren't going to be able to match up against. So why not at least try it? If you're going all offense. Just go all offense. And so for those who really, you know, think this is coming out of nowhere, I believe what this was alluding to was last night, Florida addressed eight defensemen. Two of them played the winger roles with both Mark Pissick and Mike Matheson. And they, that line, the fourth line that they had uh, centered by, oh, who's the center on that line last night? Noel Chari. Uh, Noel Chari. Yeah, they all scored a goal last night. They had three goals on that fourth line, the helicopter line, because they had no wings. I thought it was hilarious. So then today you you suggested, yeah, t- maybe Tyson Berry, maybe give him a shot. And we've seen it happen before. I think Ian White was a player back in the day for the Leafs that was a defenseman that every now and then, uh, if they want to dress 7D, then they would put him as the fourth line forward and kind of give him a couple of reps to do that. So Tyson Berry, obviously a much more offensive player than defensive player considering that he plays defense that might not be a recipe for success and it hasn't been for a lot of this season so I, I agree with you I, I think once this team does get fully healthy that they 
they might as well give that a try. Now, the only thing that I would ask you and, and question is, you know, Tyson Berry is a player that, that right now is playing between 20 and 25 minutes a game. That's a lot of ice time that you're going to have to try and 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 give to, to your other players. Do you feel comfortable that Lilligren um, or, or who, whichever player is going to end up taking that ice time from him is going to be able to to do that like they're still so young and there's still so many question marks on the blue line even when healthy that's where i see that there's a positive with riley being out right now barry's being forced to play all those minutes when riley comes back he's going to step into the majority of those minutes and as it stands a player like rasmus sandin at least should be able to he's played up to 14 15 minutes in the last couple of games and the guy that can play that amount of minutes I have zero hesitation in putting him out there for the extra minutes. He was playing the last minute of the game last night at times. He's a very mature player. He may not wow offensively right away, but he's a very mature player in his own end. And he can skate, so he can cover up some of his own mistakes. As for Timothy Lilligren, you know what? Him and CeCe can battle it out for that last spot. I personally feel Timothy Lilligren can fill that spot. But if you have Timothy Lilligren play 10, 12, 15 minutes, you're going to be able to shelter him and keep him there. No, oh, I think I lost you there for a quick. You there? You there? Yeah, I'm here now. Oh, okay. Sorry. Me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hear you now. I lost you just for a moment there. Um, but yeah, you were just saying how you think that Lilligren will be able to kind of play a little bit more minutes, and we haven't seen it yet. He's been kind of hovering between nine and, and 12, 13 minutes uh, a game, which isn't a lot. But I guess for a guy who's only played four or five games in the show, you kind of want to ease him into it, which which I guess uh, makes sense. And and I think that's where the other conversation kind of comes in, and this is how we can kind of branch out into our into our more deeper about the 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 defensive talk of this team and the way that they're structured, you know, Barry, there, there's also a conversation that maybe instead of moving him to as a fourth line winger, maybe you use him as a trade candidate and a trade chip to try and move him out, to try and bring in a more defensive defenseman, something that would fit their mold, something that they need a little bit more. Uh, would you be in favor of that? Or do you think Barry still holds enough weight that you think that he still should be a member of this team going forward if they want to be successful? I don't think Barry's integral to the success, but I think he is a, a, a piece to the puzzle if you, if you want to play the offensive game they play. He, he's played well on the power play. He's played well offensively since Keith has come. If they can shelter him once Morgan Riley comes back, who's not a great defender, but if they can shelter him, they can keep him. As for trading him, he's, like I said, he's a piece to the puzzle, but he's not integral. So if you can... On the team for a team for a defensive defenseman, if they're looking for a guy that's looking to maybe improve the power play or even play on their second power play and load that up, it's not out of the realm possibility uh, the Barry experiment ending soon. But I think it's not going to happen. If you have to make me guess. Do you think that the Leafs need to make a move for a defenseman at the deadline? That's kind of the conversation that I've had here. I do believe that there's still probably a right shot away. And then um, some people think that CC might be back. Some people don't. I personally believe that he's been Robida Island, and that cap space is uh, is for the taking, in my opinion. We'll see. I don't know if that's actually the case, but... 
Uh, I am of the class that they do need to make a move at the deadline to improve that back, uh, the back end. And I think it's kind of a necessary move for them to have success. Would you agree with that notion? Or do you think that that back end, with the insertion of, of Lilligren and Sandine now playing a lot better, and then once Riley gets back, that, that kind of they will be able to, to have enough back there to be successful? Well, I, I love the way Timothy Lilligan's played since he's been up, and I, I think he is at least an, a bottom-pairing defense in the NHL. At least have bigger aspirations than just making the playoffs again or losing the first round again. They need another round this year, I think. Even, even with the fight to make it into the playoffs, if they make it in, they need to win. Or they end up playing, getting stuck in the wild-card slot, and they get They need to Ground and prove to them that prove to their fans and prove to do this and, and next step. And as much like I said, as much as I like Timothy Lilligren, a move is probably necessary. Because I don't think it needs to be a big move though. I don't think it needs to be go get Alex Petrangelo. As much as I would love Alex, <laughs> it's realistically like it's. I, I have no problem trading one of them. You need to make sure you're being realistic about what you can get for the forward. What would your ideal lineup look like if it was game one of the like, playoffs? As much as I love Casper Kapanen, if if I had to, to choose the forward lines, Carter Hyman, Nylander with Tavares, and probably Kerfoot, Janssen, Kapanen, Spezza. Ah. That's what I think is, is tricky, right, with all the injuries. Because mm-hmm. you don't know exactly. Because you know But then you got a guy like Timoshov, who I don't think is going to realistically be in the lineup very often. Uh, it's, honestly, I feel like you could probably toss the top nine in a blender and come out with a fairly... Uh, is not as deep or as as good. Because you do have a lot of left shots. You have then Dermot, Sandin, they're all left shot guys. CC comes back, he's a right shot, but how high in the line he's And with Julian, he's 20 years old. Like he's not ready for top pairing minutes. Or at least one pairing that's going to be two left shots. I still say that Muzzin. I look at it and it should work, and I don't get why it only got a game and a half last year, basically. So I think they're all going to be a disaster a little bit, anyways. <clears throat> but you get Riley working before the playoffs, I hope, and that's the way I'd go at least. Yeah, that probably sounds sounds about right. I think I would pretty well go with the same thing and it's interesting you say you know the four group that top nine kind of putting it into a blender that's essentially what uh keith did the other night um you know when they were taking on arizona and it was it had mixed results i would say and and when we kind of talk about the game coming up against Dallas, maybe we'll get into get into that a little bit. But uh, coming up next, we're actually going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some NHL draft prospects and also talk about a couple of prospects that uh, Leaf fans might care about, and we'll do that in just a moment. All right, welcome back to the Lockdown Lease Podcast. Mike DiStefano alongside Tony Ferrari. What's going on, buddy? Uh, we already 
Kind of chatted a little bit about the Leafs, and now let's go ahead and let's dive into a couple of Leafs prospects. Um, now that Sandine and Lilligren, the, the quote-unquote blue-chip prospects, are with the Leafs, and they've solidified themselves into the NHL, or somewhat solidified themselves, I guess. Are there any other prospects that are catching your eye that Leafs fans should really start following? Like, what are the big names now that are left in the system? Well, the thing with the Leafs is they don't have a lot of high-end guys left in the system because most teams' prospect pools have 20, 21-year-olds, and 22-year-olds in it still. But most of the Leafs are already playing on the top line or the second line. So you're not going to have a lot of high-end prospects, but they have a lot of depth pieces that look like they can be middle six options, especially up front. A guy like Nicholas Robertson, who's been destroying worlds in the OHL this year, he's, he's running, running away with the team scoring lead, and he's, he's up near the league scoring lead. And then you have other guys like, like uh, Nickers, uh, Nicholas, sorry, Nicholas Abruzzese in college. He's a smaller guy. He's not, um, like, he's not a, a powerful player by any means, but he's fast. He's shifty. He's a, he's a Dubas type player. And he's, he's been playing very, very well this year with, <clears throat> sorry, with Harvard. Um, you have a few other guys like, Jeremy Bracco is still in the system. He's going to. He's a prospect that everyone seems to love, but no one seems to really know what to do with. Um, he's kind of an enigma, point, isn't he? Prob- yeah, at this point, I think he's probably closer to trade bait than a realistic roster option because we have players that do what he does, and we have players that are already established in the NHL who do more than what he does as well. Like he's not going to supplant Nylander. He's not going to supplant Marner. He's likely not going to supplant Kapanen. So you have to look at it realistically and go, okay, he's a guy that has to kind of play in the top nine, the top six realistically, and you just don't have a spot for him like that. He, he can't play the offside, his offside really all that well. Like he's, his numbers kind of take a, a pretty no, big nosedive. But he's, he's an intriguing player. He, he really is. He's highly skilled. He's a, he's a fun player to watch, but I don't really know how much NHL – future he really has to be honest i feel like his career path so far and and what it kind of looks like it's going down to is kind of the way how nick patan's career went he was a a highly touted prospect i think they're uh patan i believe was a third round pick which brocco was a late two but both uh both later picks in the draft and you know a guy who kind of tore up the ahl had some really good seasons but then just couldn't catch on in the at the NHL level and you know the the top six roles weren't available for Patan in Winnipeg kind of like it is for Bracco I just would you consider that a, a pretty good comp so far uh in this so far in his career and if that's the case do you see maybe Bracco breaking through in a way that Patan didn't is there something you like in his game that maybe has that over Patan well I think Bracco's a better playmaker he he's he he it was said earlier this year, I think it was Scott Wheeler that said it, that uh, Jeremy Bracco is the second best passer in the organization. And honestly, that's probably not far off. Wow. He's an outstanding passer. He's an outstanding playmaker. He has great vision all over the ice. The problem is he sticks to the outside, trying to make passes from the outsides of each circle, and it's just not getting there because it's the entire width of the ice. He, he needs to get inside more. If he can get inside more, I can see him carving out a nice little middle six career for himself. But 
until he decides that he's not going to be a completely perimeter player, I don't really see him breaking into the NHL and being effective on anything more than uh, a bottom feeder team playing kind of just minute munching guy that plays on a a Detroit or a, a, a you know, not really a, a high high highly touted enough player that uh, a winning team really wants him in the lineup because he doesn't do enough. Right. Um, so as a draft guy, I'm, I'm always curious to hear what, what draft guys think. Do you have a philosophy that would tell you to never trade away your picks or do you think it has its place in the game? Like you look at the Leafs, you know, they're trading away picks like it's candy. The Penguins just trade away a first round pick for Jason Zucker. Do you believe that these teams are kind of hamstringing themselves, uh, themselves by doing this? Or do you see it as uh, a really good tool to try and get better in the now by sacrificing your future. Like, what is your philosophy on trading draft picks? I, I, I've always believed that you want to keep your first-round pick unless you have a Stanley Cup aspirations. And for a team like the Leafs, so I don't mind trading the first-round pick for Toronto, especially because Toronto's shown the ability to find players later in the draft that teams don't. Like, you look at last year, Nicholas Robertson, who's picked 53rd overall, and he's probably realistically a top 20 player from that draft class right now with, with the way he's playing this year. And if you can find a team, like teams like Toronto and Carolina, Colorado's even done a really good job of it lately and LA as well. And you can find prospects deeper in the draft. Then you don't mind sacrificing that late Trump pick because the 20th pick isn't going to realistically get you much different than the 53rd you're going to get Nicholas Robertson, a top 20 talent at 53rd, if you can scout well. And the Leafs have shown the ability to do that. Yeah, that's a good point, I guess. It really has to, to do with, with your scouting and the way that you can kind of get some gems out there. Um, all right, let's get into this draft uh, this year in 2020, because it's supposed to be a pretty good one headlined by Alexis Lafreniere. Uh, it's looking more and more likely that Lafreniere is going to end up in the Atlantic Division, whether it's with Detroit, who's the worst team in the league, Ottawa, who has two top five or top six picks right now and has a pretty good shot at the lottery. Uh, is he the type of talent that can really help turn a franchise around? Uh, I say he is. He's a, he's a guy that I, I don't think he's a McDavid-level player, and I don't think he's a, a Crosby-level player, but I put him on the same like, level as like, an Austin Matthews. He's, he's a okay. player that's going to drive play. He's going to make, make a difference on nearly every shift in every game, and he has the talent to do it at next year. He's, he's going to be able to walk into the NHL next year. And he's going, I think he's going to put up numbers almost as good as Matthews in his first year. He, he plays the wing, so he's not going to have to deal with as much defensive responsibility, which would be nice for him, especially in his first year. And he's, he's a guy that he's not going to walk onto Detroit and, and make them qualify for the playoffs, but he's going to walk onto Detroit and make them watchable again and make them a, a competitive team on a nightly basis and not losing five to, five to one or four to nothing every, every night, it seems. Uh, who else do you like from this draft class? Well, I mean, Quentin Byfield has gotten a lot of flack since the World Juniors because he didn't perform well there. But he, he was really young for to even be in that tournament. He was he was the same age Lafreniere was at the previous year's tournament, basically. And at that tournament, Lafreniere only had one point. So I'm not worried about Quentin Byfield. He's tearing apart the OHL, especially since he's come back from the World Juniors. Um, another player that I'm a huge fan of is Tim Stutzla. He's, he's a German kid. Not a lot of kid, people see him over here in, in, in North America, but He's, he's 
over a point a game player in the German men's league, the DEL. He tears apart every international tournament he plays in for Germany, and he's a legitimate game breaking talent. He's the he's easily the fastest player in this draft. In this draft has a lot of fast players, one of the most deceptive skaters, and he's very he's predatory when he has the puck. He attacks the net as if like that's the only thing that matters to him in his entire life. He's he's a, only about 5'10", 180, but he's he's the kind of guy that's not gonna let his somewhat small somewhat pull him back at all. What's the deal with this Russian goaltender Askarov? He was considered a top five pick, I think, at the beginning of the draft year, and he's kind of slipped down in rankings a little bit. Uh, you still have him in the top ten at tenth, and I saw in your latest rankings you released over on Dauber. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on him? Is he the real deal? Is he a, a true elite elite goaltender? Uh, Askarov is. He's he's a fun player to watch. If you if you just watch the World Juniors. You're missing out a lot because that was some of the worst hockey I've ever seen him play this year or last. Well, yeah, he he's, didn't even end up playing in the was... gold. What's that? Right, they didn't even end up playing him in the gold medal game against Canada. They went with who was it, uh, Makarov, Maskarov, the other goaltender. Uh, yeah, yeah. But no, he he again, he's another player. He's only he's only 17. He's he was. He, it's a 19 year old tournament. He's two years younger than most of these guys. But he he is a, a an elite elite goaltender. He's he's generally very calm. He's very poised. He he almost looks mechanical out there in a good way, because you don't want your goalie to be completely stagnant and stiff. But he's very like he knows exactly where the puck is. He's always square to the puck, and his his foot movements he angles himself off to the, to to the post very well. He's he's quick footwork. He's constantly working his way around. He's very deliberate, but. He's, He's very, very athletic as well, which helps him make saves that his his positioning and just general skill, that, like just general goaltending play doesn't. Because you can be the best positional goaltender, but you need some of that Jonathan Quick athleticism to make the cross-crease pass saves. And he has the combination of both. I honestly think he's the guy I, I look for around 10. I don't, I don't draft him in the top five, but anywhere between 10 and 12, that, I think he's going to go there. Did you have him because last year there was another goaltender that was really, really, uh, really highly sought after uh, the American that ended up going to Florida. Is he a better prospect than than he? I, the name's escaping me right now. Yeah, Spencer Knight. Spencer Knight, and, that's uh, it. Yeah, I, I'd say Askron is probably the better prospect out of the two. I, I'm a big Spencer Knight fan. I think he's going to be Florida's goalie of the future, and he's going to make that Bob Rowski contract even worse. <laughs> but he's he's a guy that is definitely – going to make that team sooner than later, I'd say. But Askarov is definitely, he's a guy I definitely consider a, a step above Spencer Knight. And next year, they, there's another goalie, a Swedish goalie, for kind of completing the trio of elite, elite high-end goalies that we haven't seen come into the draft in 10, 15 years. And we've got three in a row. So it's an exciting time for goalies. Who is the one player? that you will die on a hill that you are higher on than most people? Because I know draft Twitter, they go crazy over certain players, and there's always someone who, who who you just love so much more than others, and you will just go to battle with someone on Twitter over them. Who's that guy for you? See, at the start of the season, it was Tim Stutzel, the German. I had him in my top five almost all year. But he's gained a lot of traction since. And he's, he's skyrocketed up the charts. Some people have him at even number two now. Um, but 
going lower in the draft, I, I, I'm going to go with a guy like Yan Myshak. He, he just came over from the Czech Republic. He's playing with the Hamilton Bulldogs of the OHL. And through his first nine games, if I'm not mistaken, he was over a goal a game. Like he's, he's got a ton of skill. He's got a great shot. And his playmaking is, is very, very underrated. People, people see him as a goal scorer, but he's a guy that can do both. And he's, he's quick. He's agile. He's, he's just the kind of player that you look at and you go, okay, that's a top 10 player. And I've seen him as low as number 53 in rankings. I've, I've seen him. It's just crazy to me. But I look at a lot of the rankings of people that I respect and, and even talking to some scouts at the, at the rinks at OHO games. And they go, yeah, he's a top 15 guy. Yeah, it's it's weird how sometimes you can get such a big discrepancy on players from from person to person. But that, I mean, that's what the evaluation process is all about. You know, the beauty's in the eye of the beholder, which is why you know I I think it's, it's scouting is such a fickle thing and it's so incredibly difficult to do. So I respect the fact that guys like like you are able to go out there and uh, you're able to kind of put your thoughts out on the paper. And usually it turns out to be some pretty good knowledge. Uh, so uh, I really appreciate the the draft talk there. We'll we'll have to get you back on definitely uh, later in the year to kind of talk about more of these players maybe as we we head into the junior playoffs we can kind of chat a little bit more about that uh but uh coming up next we're going to discuss the leaps and stars game coming up uh tonight so we'll do that uh, in just a moment all right welcome back to locked on these podcast mike DiStefano alongside tony ferrari all right, Leafs and Stars uh, battling back at it again. Stars coming in with a 32-19-5 record. Leafs, though, defeating them 5-3 last month, uh, just coming off of the All-Star break. Um, so for this game, what, what, what are you expecting in this one? Uh, I'm expecting the Stars to kind of bog down the game and play uh, a really defensive game because that's what they do. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. And they're probably going to try to limit the, the Leafs to the neutral zone. They're going to try to do a lot of what Arizona did the other day and try to slow down the speed that the Leafs have. Because the, the, the Dallas Stars are a very good team, but they're a very defensive team. They've got the guys like Tyler Sagan and Rupa Hintz and even Jamie Benn to an extent still. But they're, they're not a, a team that's going to outscore you. They're going to try to win 2-1. to one. And I think if the Leafs can put a few past Ben Bishop, who's been stellar this year, and they have they have a shot, but it, they're not going to be able to play the the catch up game. I don't think with the stars. And, and what what do you think the Leafs have to do to try and break down that defensive style that the Dallas is is going to do? Like if you're Sheldon Keith, what are you telling your your stars out there to to go out there and do? I'm just I'm honestly I, I've been a big proponent of telling the stars to just go have fun, just yeah. let Matt <laughs> corner and. and, and let, let Tavares go out there with, with Nylander and Hyman and, and let them just play with the puck, especially that first 10 minutes. Like, obviously, you want to focus defensively, but the Stars are a team that you can kind of decide, you know what, we're going to run and gun for 10 minutes and wear this team down because they don't have the, the scoring punch up front outside of T- Tyler Sagan, really, and maybe Rupe Hintz. But they, they, they don't have the offense to keep up and the speed to keep up. So if the Leafs can get... Moving fast, even if that requires Hyman to throw the puck in the corner and just go bang for a minute and let, let Nylander walk along the wall and kind of scoop the puck out and get it to Tavares in front of the net. So, they've got to do something to out, outspeed the Stars because 
if if they get playing the Stars game, they're not gonna they're not gonna have a good shot. Do you think we're gonna see that Nylander Matthews Marner line again? I know that they didn't play all too well the other night against Arizona, but that was kind of chalked up to by Sheldon Keefe saying, ah, it's not too fair to to judge him off this one game. Nylander was sick; he wasn't himself. Do you think he goes back to the well and tries him for a round two? Uh, I think if if you're gonna try it again, this is the game. Yeah, like I said. They, you don't have to worry about the stars burning you necessarily if Matthews, Nylander, and Marner decide to all go play five feet from the front of the net, which isn't an issue because they they're going to score if they do that. But they don't have to worry about the stars burning them. So if you're going to let an all-offense line go out there, this is the game to do it. And I've been wanting them to try it at least a little bit for almost the entire year. I know you got to put one of the wingers on Tavares' line, but uh, he carried all those Islanders teams. He can, he can have Hyman and <laughs> Engvall or Hyman and... Kerfoot on the, on the lining. Hey, man, Hyman. Hyman's turned out to be quite quite the player. I've been extremely, extremely hey. happy with his play this season. He's got 16 goals in 38 games. Wow. He's, he's doing something this year. I know, I know. He's getting himself. He's he's just he's, he's that great player. You know, I kind of liken him to, you know, t- tonight, you know, the, the Sedins went up into the Raptors in Vancouver, and I kind of look at Hyman, and I think of him, he's like, you know, he's kind of like like that Alex Burroughs-type player, you know? Like the Sedins have Burroughs, you know, yeah. go fetch pucks and then go to the front of the net and just sit there, screen the guy, try and get tips, maybe bang at rebounds, but then he could also score off the rush, and I feel like Zach Hyman kind of plays a similar role, and they both were good penalty killers and very good and responsible defensively. I just, the fact that, you know, Burroughs is on my mind after watching the Sedin ceremony, and then I kind of had that thought, you know what, Hyman's kind of like the Burroughs of, of today. And and I think that, you know, Hyman maybe, I don't know if he's going to end up having and becoming a 35-goal scorer like Burroughs did become. But he still, I think, turned himself into a top-six player. Sorry, I'm losing you. Oh, sorry. I just... Just saying that I think Burroughs is is or uh, <laughs> Hyman has has turned himself into a top six player. Um, but uh, just kind of moving off off that point, uh, we're we're still just full disclosure. We're recording this the night before the game, uh, so we're not exactly sure who's going to start in net. Freddie Anderson still uh, kind of nursing that neck injury, and, and we're unsure if he's going to be ready to go tomorrow. But based on track record, this is typically the type of game that Sheldon Keefe likes would like to give to Jack Campbell because he usually, you know, he gives the start to the hometown guy or the revenge game. He likes to reward his players in that way. He's done that a few times now. This is kind of an interesting scenario because Campbell's played three straight. Freddie, you know, coming off of an injury. But at the same time, like Dallas is the team that drafted Campbell and gave up on him. This seems like a game that Keith would like to give to Campbell, but like if Freddie's ready to go, like do you roll back and and go with Freddie? Uh, and this is the kind of game that I look at and I go, all right, Freddie, we're we're Campbell's playing well. Are 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 you feeling a hundred percent? If he's feeling a hundred percent and he wants to get back in there, I let him back in there because you you want to give your your starting goalie, especially coming back from an injury like this, a little bit of what he wants. You need to make sure he's happy. But if if there's any question, I, I I try to convince Freddie to sit this one last game out. Say, you know what? Just it's your neck. It's sensitive. Sit the one last game out. Campbell's been playing well. It makes all the sense in the world for him to go back and play play the Stars. Like you said, that's the team that drafted him and it just gave up on him. He, he played one game for the Stars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So it's 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 the kind of game that I I want Freddie to 
let me play Campbell almost, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if Freddie's healthy, you, you got to let him play if he's if he's raring to get in there. But this is the kind of game that I really try to give him the extra rest. And you know, there is a back to back coming up this weekend, so. You know he's he's gonna have to play one of those games anyway, so maybe give him one more night of rest and then play him Saturday night in Ottawa or something like that. I think that would probably be exactly. what they'll want to do. Um, all right, lastly, just before we wrap things up, I, I need a prediction for you. What's gonna happen in this game? Give me a score. Uh, give me something you think's gonna happen. You know whether it's gonna be you know uh, Matthews ends up taking the lead in the in the Richard Trophy race, which Pasternak now leads at 41 after a hat trick. You know, what's, give me a prediction for tonight. Well, I think Matthews at least gets one tomorrow night. Okay. And I think it's going to be a, a, a game where the Dallas Stars end up playing Toronto's game, and it gets a little out of hand. I can see... I can see the Stars getting an extra goal maybe because because of it. So I, I see like a 4-3, 5-3 game for the Leafs. I, I think the Leafs are going to win it because I think they're going to use their speed and skill to to outpace the the Stars. But I think I think Campbell gets the start, and I think he uh, he keeps this, the win streak going. Yeah, I think they roll with Campbell too, and and I'm going to guess uh, I'm going to guess four two, four two is going to be my guess there. Um, so hopefully hopefully that happens because two points is what the main objective is from here on out in every single game. It's going to be an absolute dog's fight to get into the playoffs. Uh, currently, we do sit a game up on Florida, uh, but you know that's that that could change literally within a night. So, and then they got another another game coming up at the end of the month against Florida, and that's going to be really important too. So, you know, these games they're they're just getting more and more important as we as we go through it. And uh, yeah, but should be a good one. I'm I'm excited for it. Should be a really good matchup. I, I like these two teams because it seems like what one team is good at, the other team's not, which means they match up really well in terms of in in that sense. Um, all right, I think that's going to do it for the podcast tonight. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to Locked On Leafs Podcast on all podcasting platforms and receive daily Leafs content. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck. And follow Tony at the Tony Ferrari. Uh, once again, Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects. Go check out his stuff. Tony, thanks so much for joining me tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me on. All right, be sure to check back in here uh, tomorrow night where I will recap the game against the Dallas Stars. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked on Leafs.